This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. another episode of the Out of the Blue podcast. My name is Laurent Brochard and today I'm joined by uh, Antonio Pesenti and Giacomo Grasselli to discuss the situation of COVID-19 in Italy and uh, in the region of Milan where this episode is now very impressive and, uh, and worrisome. So Dr. Graselli and Pesenti are both working in the ICU there, but they are also in charge, and, and Professor Pesenti is in charge of the organization of the uh, management of these patients in the whole region of Lombardy. So thank you, Antonio and Giacomo, for joining us today. And uh, I'm going to start right away with, with you, Antonio, to try to understand what is the current situation today in Milan and in Lombardia. Well, the situation today in Milan is that uh, we have 652 patients in the ICU with, uh, with coronavirus infection. Keep in mind that Lombardy is 10 million people. Disease started almost three weeks ago. And so we have been treating 854 patients, uh, of whom little more than 100 was transferred to low uh, intensity care. And 93 or 94, unfortunately, died. What surprised us is the relatively high number of hospitalized patients that required ICU because uh, it, it is close to 20%, which right. is much higher than the expected. And all, all these patients have a rapidly evolving acute respiratory distress syndrome or viral pneumonia, and they change and deteriorate pretty quickly. Some of them comes walking, come walking to the emergency department and within three hours they get severely hypoxemic and, and they maintain a pretty good compliance, I would say, but they require and they respond to PEEP quickly and to groaning too. Do you have any explanation why uh, it, it seems so severe in Italy uh, in terms of number of uh, patients in the ICU and, and number of deaths? Is, is there any characteristics of the population? Or Well, the number of deaths might be high because uh, we, we, the administration decided to consider death due to the coronavirus every positive every death with a positive test rather than a, de a death 
following a compatible history and compatible symptoms. So uh, I, I don't know really how many of those are death due to coronavirus or with the coronavirus. The number of asymptomatic patients might be quite high. We have had patients, as an example, a patient in, 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 uh, in Cremona, which is a, a town in the south of Lombardy, which, is, which was operated of, a, of an intracranial something. And he and was positive. He was in the ICU and it was positive for coronavirus, but he okay. had been just operated for some, I think, meningioma or something like that. I don't remember. So, because of that, as you know, it's always difficult to ascertain. Uh, but when you have an asymptomatic infection, because of that, it's even more difficult to, to define. And Giacomo, do you have any idea why we have so many patients in the ICU? Well, uh, another, another point could be that we don't really know the denominator, if the denominator of the two populations can be compared, because at the beginning we started testing all, also asymptomatic contacts. Now we are testing only patients with symptoms. So I don't really know. For example, I expect that our population is completely different from that on, on South Korea, where I know that they were testing like everyone. So it's, it's difficult. That's that's another possible that's another possible explanation. Uh, maybe, maybe. But again, numbers are right. certainly different from those reported from, yeah, from I think China. We, we will we will know the denominator only later, right? So it's it's impossible to say now. And just to finish with the the global aspect, uh, could you can could you explain us why Italy needed to take so such drastic drastic uh, uh, decisions about containment and uh, because you you it seems that the the spreading is so quick that you can there is no other way to control it. Is that correct? Well, it's probably true that there is no other way. Point is that we did not identify the patient zero, the patient that started all over. The, the, the disease was discovered by accident because uh, somebody uh, ate at a restaurant with a, with a Chinese fellow and he then got tested. He got pneumonia and was tested. But the Chinese fellow was negative. So, and, and then it started many places, three or four places at the same time in, in, in Lombardy. So it's very difficult to, to, to track the origin of the, of the disease. And probably it had been around for quite a long time, probably a month or so. And it, it overlapped with the, the common season influenza, making it difficult to recognize it clinically. What, what have been the most uh, challenging issues uh, for you over these last three weeks? I know there have been many, but... Uh... Dealing with such a high number of patients in a very short period of time. Again, as Antonio was saying, we had like 800 ICU beds in, in the entire region before the crisis. And since the first patient was diagnosed, we admitted almost the same number of patients. So we had to increase by about 
40-50% our ICU beds capacity. We had to reorganize all the hospital system, trying to concentrate at the time-dependent diseases like trauma, for example, in a few hubs in the region in order to free space and beds for dedicated uh, ICU. To give you an idea, we started after three days from the beginning of the epidemics, we started with um, we started with 130 dedicated uh, beds in 15 hospitals, and now we have almost 700 in 55 hospitals. So the idea at the beginning was to to set up a network of uh, uh, cohort COVID ICUs in, in in hospitals with ECMO capability or or an infectious disease uh, unit. And then uh, the disease spreads so quickly that basically every, almost every hospital now has a COVID ICU. But we are trying to keep them isolated from the rest of the ICU beds and uh, set physically separate, so. A big uh, change in the organization that every hospital had to have their own special place called the COVID-19 ICU, right? Exactly, mm. exactly. And the other major issue is, was the stock of personal protection devices. And right now, we are working day by day with the central stock in the government offices of the region. And the supply is very short. It's very difficult to find these devices because Nobody expected such a huge number of hospitalized patients. So you mentioned, uh, you mentioned PEEP, you mentioned proning. What uh, could you say about the management of these patients, for instance, like timing of intubation? When do you go for proning? When do you go for ECMO in these patients? Is, is there something specific uh, you would recommend for this uh, group of patients? Well, let, let us start from the end. ECMO is rare because of resource allocation, particularly okay. uh, physician and nurse allocation. But I, at, le at least in our hospital, I do not think that any patient died in want of ECMO for time being. And I think this is true. Okay. Most patients start with the non-invasive support, mostly CPAP, helmet CPAP, because of easy, easy application, even in the wards. Uh, the success rate of CPAP is not very high, maybe 20%, 25%. The rest gets intubated and mechanically ventilated. As, I, as I said before, how fast do they need to, to be intubated usually within the first 24 hours or? Yeah, they should be intubated, I, I guess, within the first 24 hours. Some go longer. And think, I think this is obviously is not good, but sometimes, you know, intubations have been sure delayed because of lack of beds or lack of ventilators sometimes. In the region, did not have enough ventilators for, for everybody. The response to PEEP is usually good. Normally, uh, proning has a, an immediate good effect. 
In response to nitric oxide, we tested, but was not very good in terms of gas exchange. Okay. Nothing Perhaps we should try almitrine, but we don't have almitrine in Italy. Do the, the, these patients develop uh, multiple organ failure, or it's mostly lung failure? Mm, I would say that it's mostly lung failure. Mm, very few patients with shock. Only low doses of norepinephrine, maybe probably due to sedation. Some patients on uh, continuous renal replacement therapy, but not not so common as, for example, during the for H1N1 infection. Uh, we saw two, there, there there has been two or three patients developing myocarditis or cardiogenic shock, okay. but two or three all from the same place and all treated in Pavia. Uh, but I don't know. I, I'm not aware of other, of other patients. Oh, yeah. One of those my, myocarditis patients was put on vino arterial ECMO and then on vino venous ECMO. Oh, okay. Okay. So did you need to take uh, triage decisions for, you know, limiting access to ICU or intubation or ECMO? Not yet, probably. They were basically using the same criteria. Clearly, you have to make these decisions much more often than usually, mm -hmm. which is very but I mean, the median age of our patient is 65, meaning that half of the patients, so at least uh, 400 and something patients, were older than 65 and most of them older than 70. So until now, I think that every patient who has been judged as a candidate for ICU and invasive support has received an ICU bed and invasive support. Uh, clearly, if the, if the number of cases keeps increasing exponentially, we could get to a point where the resources would not be enough for everyone and then Maybe we will have to make triage decisions. But I don't know. I, I, I'm still hoping that the containment measures will at least down the, the, the increase in the number of cases and at least let us have the time to at least reach an equilibrium between so, to, to the number of patients that need ICU and the number of beds we have. So in many countries, the... Um the numbers are rising every day and are still uh, in the beginning, right, of the slope. So like in, in Canada or the US, we expect much more. So what, what are your recommendations for these countries to, be, to try to be prepared? Well, I think that the most important consideration is that we have no therapy and the only effective measure is prevention. So, Surveillance must be very tight. And as soon as you identify a focus, isolate the place and the people there. We isolated a, region, a small region of Lombardy, impeding people to leave home for two weeks. And as a matter of fact, in that small region, the epidemic is, has reached a flat, a flat rate but, uh, you know, we, initially the government did not want to stop activities 
evolving region. So now we are facing a, a much bigger problem. And now probably the, the measures taken will be even stronger than what has been done. Every, every activity will be stopped, shops will be stopped, public transportation will, be, will not work. Recommendation is pay a small price in advance okay. rather than being a disaster later. Okay, that's, that sounds good. Uh, what, what, have you any recommendation about how to support and, uh, the, the people working, the, the, the doctors, the personnel, the nurses, uh, is there? Well, well first of all, they, they should be teach them on how to use properly the personal protective equipment, which is the most important thing. And uh, clearly working in these conditions is much tougher than usual because uh, PPE are not comfortable because people are worried of you know, getting the infection. They have to go back home to their families. They're worried to, to transmit the infection to the relatives. Uh, they have a huge increase in the number of, of shifts and of hour of working. Uh, you know, so it's, it's very stressful. So I, I, I don't know if you can set a, let's say, a psychological support for the people, but uh, they should be prepared that uh, if this comes in these dimensions, they will, they're, they're going to face a stre very stressful period, but at least take care of their uh, health. So at least uh, teach them on how to, how to use uh, the, the PPE properly. And it will be very important to be able to show them that if they use properly the personal protection equipment, they will not get sick. This margin of safety is very important for them to be confident that they can work in spite of the disease being around. Most people about their families, not about themselves. And you have example of transmission to personnel? Initially, we had uh, quite a number of people, healthcare workers infected, but in this in initially is almost inevitable if, you, if they are not alerted in time. And we had no idea of the disease being around. Right. Yeah, too many people getting sick at the, at the same time, very close to the, to the, to the first reported case. Hmm. So there might have been different people around spreading the disease. So guys, this is incredibly helpful and, uh, and important to disseminate. Do you have any additional tips or recommendation you would like to make? Yeah, when the disease comes, stay home. Okay. Stay home and do not get around. Because if everybody moves less, the infection moves less. Okay. Giacomo, anything else to add? Maybe just a practical tip. Try to also to improve uh, or to optimize your diagnostic capacity at the beginning, because uh, for us that was the problem, that the, the supply of the kits, of the swaps. And so we had, uh, you know, when you want to test a lot of people in order to contain the disease, uh, then it takes time to have the results. And so we have 
for example, out of 650 people in the ICU, there are still something like 70 to 80 still waiting for the, the swab. So you can make the decision that you don't test anyone and that you go with clinical and radiological criteria, which is probably good as well, because once you see five, 10 patients with this, then you can recognize the disease. But then if you want to use uh, the tests uh, to diagnose the disease and to, and to follow the contacts of the, of the cases, then you need to have a good uh, lab capacity. We started with two central labs, uh, and now there are more than 10 labs that are performing, that are performing the tests. Uh, especially for intubated patients, another very important point to me is that there's a certain rate of false negative uh, swaps. So I think that I don't have the numbers now, but I, I think that at least 20 to 30 cases of a negative swab that tested them positive at the bronchovelar lavage or tracheal aspirate. So now when we, have, when we intubate the patients and uh, if they have a first negative swab to confirm that they are actually negative, we take another swab and, and a tracheal aspirate or a bronchovelar lavage after at least 24 hours from the first swab. And if everything is negative, then you can be relatively sure that, that you can transfer that, that patient to a clean unit. So that's another point, that the rate of false negative swabs, which is quite high. That's very important. Thank you so much. Uh, we wish you good luck in, in your hard work. And I know you're, you're not sleeping a lot these days. So thank you. Thank you for this information. I think it's uh, going to be very useful. You can listen to more episodes of Out of the Blue on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Thank you very much. Thank you, Laurent. Thanks.